ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. What's up? What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Pick and Pod, your spot for all things NBA here on WFUV Sports. I'm your host, Joe Masters, joined here by my main man, Tyler Hu, and Mr. Owen Kelty. And boys, basketball is back. Been a, it's been a while. We, we're back into it after the All-Star break. we got a lot to talk to about today with the Dame, his master class on Sunday. The Knicks. we got a lot to talk about the Knicks. I know i got two Knicks fans sitting in front of me and to the right of me, so I know we got a lot to talk about there. And then a little bit about LeBron's injury, how it impacts the league. But before we get into all that, how are you guys doing? I'll start off with you, Tyler. As uh, one Jalen Brunson might say, the vibes are immaculate. I am the happiest man on earth right now, just based off the fact that the Knicks have been streaking for a week. That's a seven-game winning streak for you. Feeling great. They haven't lost since Josh Hart got traded here. I'm a happy man. I'm glad to be here with you guys. All is well. As Tyler said, it's just been a great week. Everything's going right for the Knicks. And, you know, back to running New York. You don't have to worry about the Nets anymore. Beat them Always the last have. two games. Blew them out in the last few games. So it's just a great time to be a Knicks fan. Yeah, you guys are talking a lot about the Knicks, and we will get to them, trust me. I have a lot to say, too, but before we get to that, I, f- I feel remiss if we didn't talk about Damian Lillard. Dame Dollar, Dame time. 71 points. His stat line ran out 71, 6-6, six and six, and he was pretty efficient. I was watching the game. He he was making smart plays, passing when he needed to, and he was scoring the ball efficiently as ever. 13 threes, 13 for 22. That is an insane clip. He now moves into third time. All time for career 60-point games with five. He jumped ahead of Michael Jordan and James Harden, and he now has more than Kevin Durant, LeBron, and Stephen Curry combined, which is insane. And then, of course, he's behind Kobe and, of course, Wilt, who has 61 60-point career games, which is absurd when you think about it. But Damian Lillard against the Rockets, who they only beat by 17, which is also, I mean, the Rockets are not a good team. Worst was, team in the NBA. Yeah, not even close, but... Damian Lillard, 71 points. What was did you guys get able to tune into that game? What was your guys' reaction to that? Yeah, watching Dame, he wasn't even forcing his shots. I was watching him just diagnose the Rockets' defense and just tear them apart pretty much. The Rockets, first of all, they don't have a good defense. They have probably the worst defense I've ever seen. Um, they were just getting fried. Uh, Dame, I tuned in right when Dame dunked on Jabari Smith. I was like, oh, he's on that <laughs> timing tonight. 41 in the first half. I was like, yeah, it's one of those nights. Dame is... Playing out of his mind right now, playing out of this world. Uh, what do you say? He's averaging like thirty-eight in the last month. Insane. He's one of the best, one of the best shooters of all time. One of the best play- scorers of all time. It's just a true joy to watch him play when he's on that, like on that level of unconscious basketball, where you just you cannot guard him. You with one guy, you have to double him. You have to hedge, trap him, and still he'll make the right play, or he'll shoot a forty-five foot three and just splash it in your face. It's ridiculous. And you talk about the stretch for last month. It's since January 12th that he's been averaging almost 39 points wow. a game. And over that time, he's had five 40-point games, a 50-point game, a 60-point, and now a 71-point game. And what makes like his 71-point game is imp- like as impressive as it was, Like he was never, like you felt, like forcing a shot. He would mm-hmm. always like mm-hmm. dump it off to the dude who was open or just make like the right play. And it's just like his 71, I mean, people were comparing, like, oh, Donovan Mitchell did it earlier in the year. Donovan Mitchell did it in overtime. Dame did this mm-hmm. in the regular time against the Rockets, too. So, you know, they started blowing him out towards the end of the game. So, you know, he could run out of time where they're just going to start resting and put him on the bench. So, kept it close. Yeah, I don't know what that moment. I know you said it was when you saw him dunk on Jabari Smith. I was eating my dinner, and I saw a tweet that said, Damian Lillard at half, 41 mm-hmm. points. Yeah. I I almost I had to double take and make sure it wasn't a parody account because that's insane and like you alluded to Owen he's putting up a crazy clip scoring the last month February thirty eight and a half points insane and he's not the player of the month it goes to Jokic it's ridiculous and I want to say this I think Nikola Jokic I think he deserves all the credit and awards and possibly a third MVP in a row that he's gonna get 
but at a certain point, it's like he can't win everything. Um, so this kind of felt like something that Dame should have gotten. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it's insane what Dame's doing, and it's equally insane what Jokic is doing. But did Dame get stubbed here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, Jokic is one of the two best players in the league. Mm-hmm. Arguably, you could easily argue he's the best player in basketball, and I have no problem with that. Big Jokic fan, love the way he plays the game. It's very obvious that this is Damian Lillard's award right here, um, Western Conference Player of the Month. He, without Dame, the Portland Trailblazers are a CYO basketball team. They missed Anthony Simons for a couple of games. Jeremy Grant, you know, plays well when he wants to. And then you got a bunch of, we don't know who's, a bunch of ragtag guys like Drew Eubanks is starting and playing major minutes for that team. Cam Reddish, you know, former Nick, playing major minutes. <laughs> Like, they have a lot of guys who, like, Kevin Knox is on that team, like, playing. Yeah, they could really use, like, a Josh Hart-type player. They could yeah. use a Josh Hart-type player. I mean, what were they thinking? But, you know, Dame is keeping that team afloat in the play-in race. Obviously, they're, I believe, in 12th place right now in the play-in, uh, right behind, a half game behind the Lakers. Dame is the Trailblazers. He is that whole franchise. And the fact that he is... Ca- the fact that they can't surround him with talent is, one, really, really annoying to watch as a basketball fan. Just, like, really upsetting, because... Dame deserves a ring. We all know Dame deserves a ring. And you can say say what you want about him being loyal, but it's the Blazers' fault for not surrounding themselves, him with a winning situation. And if you watch that Rockets, uh, well, the Blazers-Rockets game where he dropped 71, they needed every single point of his. They needed every single yeah. point. They were only up by six, and he was like at 63 points. I was like, what are you guys doing? It was a close game for most of his historic performance. Right, just exactly. It makes no sense how they are that bad. Yeah. So, yes, obviously, Jokic, first seed in the West, best player in basketball or second best player, probably going to win the third MVP in a row, but give Dame the award. Come on, let's be real now. And like you said, like Dame, like you look at Jokic, he's got help with Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon's having a career, and then you look at like Dame, and it's like he's, he's hoping for Cam Reddish to shoot a good field goal percentage, which is very rare for him. So you're looking at Dame, he's keeping them in the, four, the 12th seed right now, two games out of the play-in, and it's just like, it's extremely impressive what he's doing. No help, and he's just, every single game he's coming out, shooting efficient, dropping 40 points a game, and like, he's been doing this for almost two months now, and it's like, you look at Jokic, and it's like, yeah, every game's like this, like, triple-double, but it's like, he's so much help to get these assists and everything. It's like, Dame is doing all this, like, everything is just on him. Yeah, and you guys talked about the Blazers' lack of ability to surround Dame with talent and like putting a lot of the blame on the Blazers' management. But at a certain point, do we ever put some blame on Dame for sticking with him for that long? Because it's been now, what, like a decade plus, and yeah. he, they've never really been that close. I mean, the, the McCollum era, with they were kind of close to the Warriors, but never really. They made it to the Western Conference Finals and got absolutely toasted by the Warriors. that yeah. got swept. <laughs> so yeah. this is not a new thing. So is yeah. Dame... I'd fault here a little bit for being so loyal and wanting to go through the grind. I'd say a little bit on terms of like it being too loyal. You know, he's loyal to a fault. Like obviously, I respect the loyalty. Should see more of it in the NBA. It's a great thing. But you got to realize sometimes your franchise is not putting you winning at the forefront. They're not prioritizing winning a championship. They're prioritizing ticket sales, keeping their revenue afloat, keeping profit. And Dame enables that because Dame is a high-selling jersey. He's a big name. He's a big market name. They're not willing to go through a rebuild. They found gold, and uh, they found a diamond, and then they surround it with dirt. Um, It's, yeah, it is a little bit of Dame's fault for being too low, but listen, if I'm getting paid 55 to 60 million a year, I'm not passing that up. I'm not going to another team to do whatever. Obviously, a ring is nice, but... The bag talks. Yeah, what just, can we just say? Just ask Bradley Beal. Ask you know? Bradley Beal. Exactly. You're a Wizards fan. You would <laughs> I know best. all too well. Yeah. Right. The, the bag talks. So I can't blame him with that. But I would like to see him leave as soon as possible and go get a ring. I would see. I do blame Dame to a point where it's like, if you if he really did want that ring, he's made a lot of money in his career. And if he really wanted to go, he could request a trade. And he's been there for so long. And he's been their guy that and they would nobody would blame him no one would blame him and the blazers would trade him and they'd get a haul for him and he would right. be able to go get try to compete with a fur ring with another star but like you said the bag talks he's getting paid so much money to stay there and like just like the community he's probably built there in like portland i mean you can't blame the guy for just wanting to stay and hope at some point he can get a ring and like if he did ever win a ring in Portland, like what oh, that, that would do for so like, for his legacy and like everything that he's been talked about, it would just like it would be that like final fulfilling moment I think for him. It would be one of the greatest rings in NBA history Definitely. easily. Yep. 
Well, we speak of this inactivity and inability for the Blazers management to, you know, make some moves, but they did make a move this trade deadline. And ever since that move, the Knicks mm-hmm. have not lost since acquiring Josh Hart from the Blazers. They are 37 and 27, seven straight W's, fifth in the East. I mean, I have a lot to say, but I got two Knicks fans here, so I'll let you start, Tyler. How are you feeling? Big win streak. How are you feeling? I'm feeling amazing. This is seven straight wins against every single team you look at in that win streak. They're all either within the play in the play-in race or a contender. Obviously, the Celtics missing Jalen Brown that night, but we've seen they were nine and two prior to uh, without Jalen Brown prior to that game. Now, obviously, nine and three, but that's a huge win. That's seven big wins, and I believe it was by a margin, average margin of sixteen points per game. Sixteen point wins. I mean, pretty much all blowout wins. Good, as I said, quality wins, and they're playing good basketball, and they're playing really good basketball with their third leading scorer, R.J. Barrett, playing relatively poorly to his standards. He's been underwhelming this year, fourth year, third overall pick. You expect him to take the star leap, even with him playing poorly. You see this team playing so well because you see guys like Emmanuel quickly step up. We know what Jalen Brunson's doing. Jalen Brunson, thirty-nine points on eighteen shots against the. Brooklyn Nets absolutely toasting, toasting and toasting against anybody in his way. Julius Randle doing his thing, showing why he's an all-star. You got Josh Hart, he comes in. He In seven games, he's averaging 12.4 points per game, averaging 5.1 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 1.3 steals, and .6 blocks on ridiculously good efficiency. He's shooting 61, 60, and 73 splits. That's pretty insane. Josh Hart is the perfect role player for the Knicks. You got Grimes stepping his game up. Everybody's kind of stepping their game up right now. Mitchell Robinson comes back from injury, four straight double doubles, playing out of his mind, uh, tweeting some things, you know, talking about how he's the best center (laughs) center in New York. And I'm going to back that up. But, you know, the team's coming together. They found their identity. Since the the move to the nine man rotation, they're 26 and 14, I believe, which is like one of the best records in the NBA. They found their identity as a hard hard playing defense, like a lot of grit, and just. They got big shot makers now, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle. And you can say, okay, they're a star away. We don't worry about that till next year. We don't worry about that till the offseason. But right now, what you're seeing right now is really good basketball. And I'm hoping they keep it up. And I'm enjoying every last second of it. And over this stretch, like the headlines have been 7-0 and since you got Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the whole month of February, they went 9-2. and and they're only two. They had two losses were to the Clippers, where it took a Nick Batum one one second left, game tying three to send it to overtime, then a loss in overtime, and then the other loss was to the Sixers, where at one point in the game, I believe in the third quarter, they were up by ten or more. Right. So just over this last month of basketball, it could it's just have been, been eleven and zero. Exactly, eleven and zero in the month of February is just incredible, and just the consistency that they've been playing with lately that we really haven't seen in years with this team, and like the vibes, Jalen Brunson, the vibes are immaculate. Just the way the team is playing together and like the just around the locker room, it's just completely different feel with this team than even look at like 2020's team. It's just completely different. Last mm-hmm. last seven games, none of the games are even close. Oh yeah, every game they get up to a lead and it's different than the beginning of the year because they just blow every lead. Fourth quarter, final five minutes, tie game, and it's close. Now it's like you see throughout the game consistency and Josh Hart has really helped that. I think just going out there playing defense. And with the nine-man rotation, you're getting guys more minutes and more minutes together. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're talking about Josh Hart, and I kind of want to focus. I feel like in the NBA now, it's so star player oriented. We always want to talk about the stars, the guys dropping mm-hmm. 20, 30 a game. But with the Knicks, at least from what I've seen, it's been the role players who have really kept this core together and then elevated them. Josh Hart in that Nets game was plus 30. Yeah. Plus minus. You know how that insane that is? In 26 minutes, for example... Dame and his performance we just talked about was plus 21. So Josh Hart, plus 30, insane. And then guys like Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes, young bulls who are really performing well. And Grimes against the Nets started out 3-for-3 three three from three, from the three-point line and scored 22 points. So the young guys are really stepping up here. And that's a distinction I saw between this uh, this current Knicks team and the one from the COVID 2020 year where it was guys like Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, Older guy Reggie Bullock, older guys. Now it's this young core of Knicks players, and that's why I'm assuming as Knicks fans, and even for not a Knicks fan, it's pretty fun to watch. It's exciting, and Absolutely. you feel like it's something that's sustainable. Whereas maybe in 2020, it was like this is fun, 
but half these guys aren't going to be in the roster in two years. Exactly. Like, a lot of these guys from the 2020 team, they're gone. You even go back to the 2013 team, the, like, the last time they were in the playoffs before that uh, COVID year, that average age of the roster was th- over 30, like, over 30 years of age. This current roster, the current rotation, the average age is 24.4 years. The oldest guy in the rotation is 28. It's Julius Randle. He's the only guy over the age of 26, and he's a two-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA. Maybe he makes it again this year. It's the youth movement that Knicks fans have been preaching for for the last year and a half, two years. You see there's so many young guys. They're diamonds in the rough. They're just waiting to be unlocked, like Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly, since that nine-man rotation move, has averaged 15.6 points per game, 4.1 rebounds, 3.3 assists on really good shooting splits. Uh, it's 47, 37, 78. That's really solid, really solid shooting splits, high volume, making winning plays. You, you add Josh Hart to the rotation. Obviously, I mentioned RJ hadn't been playing that well. So he dials his rollback a little bit. Now he's playing a little bit smarter, a, little, a lot more effort on the defensive side of the ball, which we've all been asking for. And Quentin Grimes has been nails. He is He shot the lights out last game, um, was taking good shots, making good shots. You just see these guys playing good basketball and playing – like a team with a lot of cohesion and they're playing for each other and that's what makes this one this that's what makes it sustainable and two that's what makes it really fun to watch and you brought up the cohesion of the team rj barrett said this after the last game like you have a lot of guys on the team that could have egos like you mm-hmm. emmanuel quickly could be starting on another team absolutely or rj could be playing more minutes or he's the third ball like he's third option here he could go to another team and be that first option guy he's shown that he could be that like mm-hmm. that good and even guys like derrick rose evan fournier who could be rotation players? Like everyone's just like they're playing their role, and they like no one's going above and beyond like what they think that they have to do. Like they're playing, they're doing what they have to do. I just want to bring up the D Rose thing. Derrick Rose could easily just go to a contender. He could go to the team like the Suns. I'm pretty sure the Suns tried buying him out mm-hmm. at the deadline. I think the buyout deadline just passed, but they tried buying him out. A contender could easily use a Derrick Rose veteran leadership. Still can play when given minutes. D. Rose, there's a reason why he's staying, and it's not because of the money. It's because he realizes that he's within a culture that appreciates him for what he is, and this is a team that's all, like, they're all together. They have an identity, as I mentioned, and they just have that cohesion. They have that chemistry. The vibes are immaculate, as Jalen Brunson likes to say. Everybody's having fun. Everybody's smiling on the bench. Everybody's happy. It's honestly the most enjoyable, like, moment as a Knicks fan I've ever had, which is, you could say that's sad to say, but I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It's really fun. Seven-game winning streak, every every win being a competitive win, a blowout win, and the guys are just everybody's playing well, playing like just playing happy, free flowing, and this is just fun basketball. Yeah, and I want to I want to pull out a qu- uh, tweet from Fred Katz here. I, I'm sure you guys know who Fred yep. Katz is, former the, Wizards beat reporter, yep, now the Knicks beat the, reporter, the lead Knicks beat reporter. He mm-hmm. said after the Nets game, just left the Knicks rock, uh, locker room. I can confidently say that the vibes are immaculate. Yes, sir. Everyone in there screaming jokes across the room. It was just a wave of cheeriness. So, going with Jalen Brunson's vibes are immaculate. It seems like it. And I just want to point out a couple things from that Nets game. Number one, season high for the Knicks in terms of points. Most threes of the year. Third most points in the first half in franchise history, which blew my mind. I mean, the Knicks a story franchise. It's insane. Brunson had 31st point halves, which is probably up there for greatest half performances in Knicks history. Absolutely. It's insane. And when you look at all this, the over the winning streak, their defense has drastically improved. They're just playing strong, cohesive basketball. And when I turned on that Celtics game, going back to that game, I was watching, I felt like I was watching the Celtics in Knicks uniforms. They were passing the ball, playing good defense, shooting threes. It was like a complete new Knicks team. But it's just, it's been this team that on this win streak has played together on both sides of the floor. And they're winning. And like you said, Tyler, and I'm sure the same goes for you, Owen, best time to be a Knicks fan in a while. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. Easily. It's not even close because you know, even with like if you've seen better Knicks teams in the past, this is sustainable. The youth movement, it's the young team. There are cost-controlled contracts. you got guys like Brunson and Randall on great deals. Obviously, Randall last year we saw, we were like, oh, no, this is a horrible deal. He played his way back into it becoming a bargain of a deal. Uh, Jalen Brunson has outplayed his contract already. And it's just like every guy is just stepping up and playing for each other. This is easily the most enjoyable 
as a Knicks fan. And I think over the last 15 games, they're third in net rating mm-hmm. across the NBA. I think, like, first, and I'm not sure, like, first on offense or defense, like, 13th on the other side, but just good basketball on both ends of the, on the floor. It's the best basketball the Knicks have played all season. Obviously, they did have that eight-game winning streak previous, but this is more dominant, clearly, and they get a chance to extend that tonight against Miami Heat in Miami. And a very underappreciated part of this win streak was getting Mitchell Robinson back. Mm-hmm. How huge he's been on the defensive end. He's he's a very underrated center oh, in, in the, the NBA. One of the top ten. So best in New York. Best easily. Easily, <laughs> easily the best in oh, New yeah. York. He's a rim protector, and on the offensive on the offensive glass, he's just unstoppable. The, mm-hmm. the Knicks as a team average twelve offensive rebounds a game, like which is just unbelievable. And him as like a rim protector. And just the anchor of that defense is not like when Sims and Hartenstein were the starters rotating back and forth. You didn't really see that like cohesion on the defense. But knowing that you got a guy back there that can block anything, you saw that Jason Tatum block, and that was incredible. That was insane. Just yep. a, an amazing block, and just having him back there has just improved the team overall. And having him as a lob threat, and that was one of the biggest things of the 2020 season is that when you lost him, you saw what you lost with Clint Capella in the playoff series. So then having him back and having him healthy is going to be the biggest part of this next season, I think, going forward. Absolutely. Mitch enables you to switch. He enables you to play drop coverage because of his length and his instincts. We saw in that that Hawks series, you lose Mitch, Nerlens Noel. Sure, Nerlens was awesome that year. Mm -hmm. Like, Even though he has absolute brick hands, hands. he's a really good rim protector. He doesn't have that switchability. He doesn't have that footwork, that foot speed that Mitch has. And Mitch was able to play. He's able to play drop coverage against good point guards who like to pull up in the mid range. He's able to still affect their shots. He's the second best offensive rebounder in the NBA, right behind Stephen Adams. He's unbelievable keeping possessions alive. Doesn't even need the ball. He's like nine percent usage rate, and he still affects the game offensively. It's unbelievable. Him, guys like him, Randall, Josh Hart, Isaiah Hartenstein, they keep possessions alive and give the Knicks extra possessions to get more score more points and that's so huge because like most teams don't have a guy like a Mitchell Robinson a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein you got two really solid centers as your one-two punch it's just it just enables Tibbs to do so many different things enables them to play so many different defenses so many different offenses and just makes life so much easier so it's good to have Mitch back Obviously, you know, injury prone, but when he's there, he's one of the 10 best centers in the NBA, and I stand by that. Yeah, and I want to give some credit to Scott Perry, Leon Rose, mm-hmm. Tibbs. If Nick's Twitter had their way, I think Julius Randle would be gone. Yep. R.J. Barrett would have been handed the keys. It would be R.J. Barrett's team. Or he'd be gone by R.J. Barrett would be or in Utah, Utah right or, now. Yeah, or he yeah, might be, be Utah, gone. Right. Obi Toppin would be starting. They may not quickly be starting. Jalen Brunson would not be here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jalen Brunson, Mr. Overpay, like— this roster, this win streak would not have happened. So mm-hmm. I do want to give some credit to the Knicks front office, to the coaching staff, because I know talking to you, Owen, even probably up to a m- month, two months, maybe you wanted Tibbs gone. You wanted him sent to Uzbekistan. <laughs> so Tibbs, you stay, you stay consistent, you stay there, and now maybe you're seeing the benefits of staying patient. We're seeing too a difference in like this is a new Tibbs that we've seen. He's actually he's happy, he's smiling. He, he's smiling. You he's saw got the a beard. You saw, yeah, he's, he saw him dap up Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Probably needs to lose the hair. Yeah, he on needs top to lose though. the hair. He but needs to. That's so far gone. He's finally like focusing on like realizing offense is just as important as defense now. Mm-hmm. Like the past few years, it's just been focus on defense and that's all that matters. And now like you see the offense is flowing and he's finally he seems to be adapting to like the newer game. And he started playing the young players. Like, Absolutely. In the start of the year, it was Evan Fournier, Derrick Rose, all in the rotation. And then it's like, once you switch, like, to, Deuce McBride was playing for a while, and that was good until Josh Hart got here. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel quickly and Quentin Grimes getting more minutes, and that's led to success. And I think that's what has kept him his job, is get, finally giving into that youth movement that Knicks fans, the one thing we're right about, was wanting to play the young guys. Yeah, got to play the kids. Uh, Hot Seed Tibbs might be the greatest coach of all time. I will stand on that. Whenever you hear word of, oh, fire Tibbs, oh, that guy becomes prime Popovich, mixed with, like, mixed with Phil Jackson. He's unbelievable. But um, I was also on that train of, you know, moving on to a younger option, Johnny Bryant, the lead assistant. But obviously, we, we all are big fans of Johnny Bryant. We do think mm-hmm. that he's really good at his job. But Tibbs has – got to give credit to Tibbs. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but he's adjusted to the modern game. He's bought that offense. He's finally learned how to run plays other than dribble handoff, pick and roll, pin down, pick and roll. And it's really nice to see a free-flowing offense. He's not set in his ways of – I mean, still kind of set in his ways about the rotations, how when guys come in, come out. But crunch time, it's not like a set five. 
he'll adapt based on the hot hand. Like now you see obviously like RJ not playing as well. Josh Hart playing well. You bring Josh Hart into the crunch time lineup. Quentin Grimes slowing down a little bit. Emmanuel quickly goes into the crunch time lineup. And they're not running the same boring plays, same predictable plays. They're not running the same drop coverage on defense, not playing the same zones. And it's nice to see an old dog learn new tricks and absolutely adjust to the 2023 NBA game. And it's proven really successful because the nine-man rotation move was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, obviously, you want to see Cam Reddish play. You want to see a young guy like that. But it's for the best. It came out. Now you got now that you fill that – because it was kind of an eight-man rotation at yeah. the time. Until Josh Hart comes over, you get Josh Hart in there. Now it's a complete rotation, and they finally found that cohesion, and they're playing the best ball of the season. So got to give credit to Tibbs. Was not his biggest fan. Still would like to see – you know, see it in the playoffs, but he's been phenomenal recently and got to give credit to him. He's really turned it around. Yeah, and I find it funny how uh, when the Knicks made the trade for Josh Hart, and it showed pretty early that that was a good trade, that that it was going to work out well. And you go look on Bleacher Report, and the article is five trades the Knicks should have made at the trade deadline. And it's it seems like there's always this the Knicks have to get a star. The Knicks have to get... I think even now I saw yeah. trades for the offseason. It's the Knicks acquired DeMar DeRozan. Like, it's trades yeah, that the Knicks need that. to I make. I saw that. It was disgusting. Yeah. There, I feel like there's this media pressure and maybe even a fan pressure that I hope is going away now because of this yeah. winning streak that the Knicks have to go out and get this star player. Like, who's the next star in free agency mm-hmm. or the trade market that's going to come play for the Knicks? I think this win streak is showing that they really don't need to go do that. And they're young and they have assets now with first-round draft picks, multiple of them. Mm-hmm. Are you guys on that same wave of go and get that star player? Or are you now seeing maybe the benefits of having these young players and not making that kind of foolish, quick-hearted move? Oh, so I I've changed my ways. Like I was a big get Donovan Mitchell guy, and then like as it got closer, realizing what it was going to take to give up, I was like yeah. more like I just keep the young guys, keep the assets, and the way like the assets the Knicks have, they can just keep pushing them farther and further down the road until you finally like. And, for, and when you're that close to winning a championship, because I still don't think the Knicks like, ha, like have enough to win a championship, but like they're building that foundation and that culture that some like a team's gonna need. And you're finally getting to see what the young guys instead of giving them up for a guy like Donovan Mitchell, where that roster would have been nothing. You'd have no picks down the road, and who knows how good? The, I mean, they're only one and a half games behind the Cavs, who got Donovan Mitchell, and now it's just like. If you make that trade, where would the Knicks have been? Probably not as good, and fan base would be calling for Leon Rose's head again for making a bad trade. <laughs> Absolutely. Next Twitter. See, like, the, exactly. Next Twitter, very toxic place. But you look over at um, that Donovan Mitchell trade. They give up Laurie Markkinen, Colin Sexton. Uh, don't forget the third player, and like five first-round picks. Three protect, unprotected, two protected. First of all, a lot of picks. And we the Knicks do have those picks. They have... They had 11 tradable first-round picks or and included pick swaps during that Donovan Mitchell saga. And they have a lot of picks. And they have a lot of young players. You look over at Laurie now. Laurie's an all-star, averaging almost 50, 40, 90, 25 points per game, 9 rebounds, playing out of his mind. What if RJ or Grimes becomes that? And obviously, I'm not of the, oh, let's hoard the young kids. Like, let's let's not hoard the young guys and hope for them to become stars because sometimes that doesn't work. Not all progress is linear. But And I do think that, yes, the Knicks do need a star. It's not now because the Knicks are not at a championship level yet. It's clear that if they make a trade for a, like a Jimmy Butler or a Paul George, a, a big two-way wing who can step in and be your closer or one of your closers, that's huge. That could elevate the Knicks to a conference championship spot. But I don't think it's imminent that the Knicks have to make a move. I think it would be nice. I think – but I think that would be that would just be like kind of wishful thinking. I do think that letting the process play out is what matters more. Building through the youth youth movement, excuse me. Um, letting Brunson and Randall do their thing, play like all stars. Letting RJ quickly Grimes maybe Obi if he stays around for a while develop. Let the kids grow and just build that cohesion, build that culture, and then when it's time to make that swing, you make that swing. But I don't think that's right now. So I'm comfortable not making, as I said, the Donovan Mitchell trade, would have loved to have him Donovan Mitchell in New York. Phenomenal player. One of the 20 best players in the NBA. Absolute amazing three-level scorer. Does that fit in New York, though, with a Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle? Jalen Brunson, there's that's two small guards right there, two really small guards. That's basically Damon CJ on a different scale, different level. Yeah. It doesn't fit. It doesn't. Re- it doesn't work with the roster, and then you inevitably give up 
RJ Barrett, that's a wing. Quentin Grimes, wing stopper. Emmanuel quickly, guard. And it just doesn't really make sense for that roster. And you can say, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, RJ Barrett took a step back. Yeah, but who would have known that at the time? So I'm comfortable not making that trade. I think that's paid off for all parties. I think Donovan fits better in Cleveland. And I think that the Knicks are fine without Donovan. Well, not I think. I know they are. We've seen it mm-hmm. for 63 games, 64 games now. So I think everything's worked out. Star would be not, would be really nice. And down the road, maybe in a year or two, make that move. Right now is not that time. Yeah, I really think you got to let it ride out into the playoffs. And who knows in this Eastern Conference, they've shown they can, I know it's a regular season, but they've shown they can pretty handily beat the Celtics. Yep. And I think they can beat the Cavs. It's at least going to be competitive. Yeah. The definitely. only question is the Bucks, who are hotter than ever right now. Listen, they're not beating the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, really, no one on the team stopped. Really, no yeah, that's the only question when any team has to play the Bucks is yeah. who's going to guard Giannis. Yeah, and then you got Drew and Middleton or a big playoff. They step up in the playoffs. They got that championship experience. Yeah, yeah no one's yeah. touching the Bucks. So I think we just got to let it ride out in the playoffs, see what happens with mm-hmm. the Knicks here. And then maybe they make that swing in the offseason, although I don't really think that it's necessary. I think if this level of play, who knows the Knicks, you know, they've gone on five-game win streaks and five-game losing streaks, so we never know. But if they can keep this up, you kind of got, you have to see how this young core grows together. That's the most important part, this cohesion. Mm -hmm. But the culture. Yes. That's the most important part. Culture, culture, exactly. But we're talking about playoffs and all of that. And in the West now, moving to the West, it could... There could be a large, a large impact on the playoffs here with the news on Friday of or Sunday actually, with LeBron James suffering a foot injury against the Dallas Mavericks. It's expected. They don't know exactly, but they're saying multiple weeks now. Mm-hmm. He's going to get second opinions. It's if you're the Lakers, they make some good trades at the trade deadline. You're feeling confident, and then LeBron goes down. They end up winning that game coming down from, I believe it was 27 against the Dallas Mavericks on the road. Right. A crazy win. But now without LeBron, it's it's questionable now. And it severely hinders their ability to make the playoffs in a West that is really weak. Weaker than we've seen it in decades, really. And the Lakers are, we know this, they're not a good team without LeBron. LeBron is the team. But I will say, after the trade deadline, the Lakers are a much better team around LeBron. AD has shown in New Orleans that he can win as being that first option. Who knows? It's a different AD, much, much more injury-prone, as we've seen in recent years. Anthony Data Davis. Yeah, Data Day Davis. But we, I, I do like the addition of D'Lo. I think D'Lo and AD is an interesting combo. But the Lakers this year are 6-10 and 10 without James and 37-63 and 63 without him during his time in Los Angeles. So... They are not a good team without LeBron James. Let's just put it like that. Yeah, they stink without LeBron. And they're not very good with him, which kind of stinks because he's still clearly one of the 10 best players in the NBA. So is AD when healthy, obviously. Big if. But it's just the the trade deadline, the trades that they made, first of all, Minnesota bailed them out. Tim Connolly doing Tim Connolly things. uh, Bailing out other franchises and being really stupid. And... Getting D'Lo, nice, but he's also hurt right now. He's got the ankle injury. He hasn't played with the Lakers, I believe. And then getting Malik Beasley, shooter, hot and cold, but he's a much, much needed floor spacing for them. Jared Vanderbilt, lockdown defender, played out of his mind against, I believe it was Dallas in that comeback, and pretty much spearheaded that comeback. It's going to be tough because this the schedule going forward, you look at it, it's like, it doesn't look that tough on paper for the Lakers, but a lot of those games are deciders in the play-in race. They play against a lot of big West teams like Minnesota. They play on front, uh, tonight. Yeah, they play tonight. Um, Golden State on Sunday. Memphis. They play the Knicks soon. Warriors like, and Grizzlies. That could be a tough stretch with the staff coming back. Exactly. And Toronto's no slouch either. They're also playing for play-in seeding. Uh, the Pelicans are also playing for play-in seeding. Dallas, they want to get their get back against the Lakers. Like these are not easy games. This is not an easy stretch. You even look at like games like Oklahoma City. OKC can give them a tough time. Obviously, they did just beat OKC without Braun, but this is the stretch run right here. This is their most important part of their season. They're missing LeBron. And AD is one a phenomenal player on both ends of the floor, but who knows how reliable he is. D still not healthy. We don't know what the Lakers are gonna do now. I'm not very high on them to begin with, and I don't think I don't think my opinion changes. It obviously goes down. I don't know, man. I think the Lakers just I don't know what their direction is right now. 
I just don't know where they're at. I don't think they make the playoffs. Maybe they make the play-in, but it's not looking good for them. That's my thought on everything. Yeah, and you talk about the teams playing them have things to play for, fighting for a playoff spot, but mm-hmm. also an untalked about kind of factor of all this is that when teams are playing the Lakers, there's a target on the Lakers' head just Absolutely. because it's the Lakers, number one, and because you have LeBron. Everyone, oh, we're playing LeBron tonight. Like, any team that has a home game against the Lakers, they're selling double the tickets they'll usually sell if it's not already. So the Lakers, playing the Lakers already brings this sort of extra motivation for the opposing team. Now that with no LeBron, it makes it even more challenging. But like I said, I like the team around LeBron. I think they can stay close until he gets back. And LeBron's not a human, so he'll probably get back within about a week probably. I mean, he's he will recover faster than norm- yeah. most players normally do. So I'm feeling good about the Lakers. How about you, Owen? I mean, they said about three weeks, which would put them with nine games left in the season, which is not a lot of time to work with, especially because you don't know if it's going to be only three weeks. It's three weeks and to reevaluate, yeah. the future, right? And which is even worse. Which is not good. Yeah. And you look at like what they did at the trade deadline. It was to go all in one last, like one last time, mm-hmm. get, go all in, try to help out LeBron, and it's like right away LeBron's hurt, and you're looking at a really tough schedule. Even the games you look like. Man, the Lakers like that's not a good team. The Lakers could beat them. The Lakers aren't a good team. <laughs> so you're stink. like, so what? What does that leave them with? They're hoping for Anthony Davis to stay healthy, which is rare these days. Like he's, you don't know how many games he's gonna play for without getting hurt. But I mean, the West is wide open. Yeah, they're right. they're only two and a half games out of the six seed, which is the playoffs. And with the games that they've coming up, all teams in front of them or competing with them, if they can steal some of those games against maybe like. Maybe the Warriors, you could steal a win. Then you're moving up a lot in the standings. You get to that sixth seed. And then once you get LeBron back, you even you look at the, for the Lakers, I think you look at trying to get to seven or eight where you only have to win one or two playing games. Right. And then that's when you get LeBron back. And then that's where I think that their goal is going to be for Anthony Davis and the guys that they traded for. Absolutely. Yeah, and we're talking about the Lakers and their playoff hopes. But I guess in the moment now, the question is who replaces LeBron? And looking at their who they've been playing and starting since he's gone down. It looks like it's going to be Troy Brown Jr., who I'm familiar with. Yep. And, Over Wizard. Yep, and he, he's a solid player, but I think it's pretty funny looking at his stat line since since the injury. First game without LeBron, he puts up two points <laughs> against Memphis. And then the next game, he puts up 19-4. and four. So it's kind of like, what Troy Brown are you getting to replace? I mean, you're obviously not going to replace <laughs> LeBron, but yeah. someone's got to step up. And... I don't know. I think that kind of stat line kind of perfectly embodies the Lakers' season. You know, just a dud one night, and then you know, then you they do like what they get to do against the uh, against Mavericks, and you say, "This is the Lakers team we've been waiting for all season." So, I, I think, think it's yeah. yeah you, you got it. You got it. My fault. My fault. But like, I think that guys need to step up, like Jerry Vanderbilt, Austin Reeves, um, yep. who we saw him and Josh Green get into it. Oh. That was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Reeves, Josh Green, Lonnie Walker, the thir- uh, Lonnie Walker has to step up, and Malik Beasley has to be more consistent. The shot is so inconsistent with him, and he is probably their X factor for the rest of the season. I'm really interested to see, like, because honestly, if they stay afloat, this is a blessing in disguise for the Lakers, just because obviously le- missing LeBron stinks, and that's like their best player. But if this is if they stay afloat, this is key. Obviously, big if if they stay afloat. You get their role players going into the playoffs or playing hot, and you get LeBron slotting right back in. You got their role players playing their best basketball, and you got LeBron being LeBron, AD being AD, just stepping up because he's going to have to step up without LeBron. That could be a blessing in disguise the same way Steph Curry. When Steph Curry got hurt, the Lakers, uh, no, excuse me, the Lakers, the Warriors stayed afloat without Steph because surrounding guys stepped up Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kuminga, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, a little bit of everything. It's very key for the role players to step up here. A lot of those guys are guys that they traded for at the deadline. we got to see how that works out. And I'm really intrigued to see how that works out, but considering they're going to have to play a lot of tough teams. But pressure makes diamonds, as we like to say. So let's see if the Lakers can stay afloat without Braun. I, I really just don't. I don't see how they can make the – I mean, maybe like slide into the play-in, but the teams that they'd have to play in the play-in, you're looking at the T-Wolves, Jazz, Pelicans, and Clippers – Pelicans yeah. might be getting Zion back. Clippers have a very deep roster and with Kawhi and Paul George. They yeah, own the Lakers. The Lakers, it's just it's not looking good for them for the rest of the year. Yeah. Even if you get LeBron back and you make that play-in, it's going to take a, a lot of luck, I think. Just because the play-in, you're going to have to win two times against those teams. 
it's just it's really not looking good for them. Yeah, I will say I do think they're going to make the play, and I think the Jazz are going to sort of dwindle off here because I don't, I don't, I think they're someone's going to have to step in that locker room and say, guys, we are not trying to win here. Please start losing. Um, it's too late for Wemby, but let's get yeah. that number eight let's, overall pick. And this in this draft where it's oh god, it's, it's so, so loaded. Sack draft. Yeah, you want to be yeah. bad. This is crazy. But um, no, I think the Lakers could definitely sneak into play in, and then. I don't know. You get playoff LeBron, you never know what happens. But I think it's a really it's a it's a tough tough ask for a first year coach in Darvin Ham mm-hmm. to to deal with the Lakers number one and then their fan base their fan base number two and then LeBron <laughs> All the drama number LeBron season. number three yeah exactly because when you're coaching LeBron it's kind of like you're an assistant coach in a way <laughs> sometimes so it's tough for a for a right. first year coach in Darvin Ham. But speaking about coaches, I know we have some varying opinions about who should be the coach of the year. I think the odds-on favorite is Joe Mazzulla with the Celtics. I think I saw the DraftKings line was like plus 170 or something close to that. Do you guys have anyone else that you think deserves it more than him? Because best team, best record in the NBA, like it's pretty – like he should win it. And it's his, it's his first year too, which is right. pretty impressive. But do you guys have anyone that could uh, surprise us? I think Missoula is the clear odds-on favorite. Took over a very tumultuous situation. Obviously, the whole email yeah. Doka scandal. We don't know what's going on. He takes over and leads them to, well, now, unfortunately, second-best record in the NBA. Um, and I have no problem with him winning, but I'm going to point out two candidates that I do think that are deserving. Obviously, Mike Brown taking over the Sacramento Kings. They light the beam. They are on pace to make the playoffs for the first time in 16 years or 17 years since, like, 2006. That's, that's not as an 8 seed. They're, they're the 3, three seed. seed. They're that's, a great team. That's shocking. They're really good. Yeah. Um, you got Darren Fox, who should win Clutch Player of the Year. New award, by the way. Um, you got Demata Sabonis playing out of his mind, playing like a baby Jokic. And just building that culture there. It's just like it's The Kings are so deserving of a good basketball team. And I'm really happy for them. And I do think Mike Brown is one of the big candidates. The other guy I'm going to mention, the guy who's coaching the new best team in the NBA, Mike Budenholzer of the Milwaukee Bucks. You see, obviously, Middleton. Chris Middleton, We like he's played, been in and out of the lineup, missed a ton of time, hasn't been the same Chris Middleton. Uh, Drew Holiday is amazing. But then Giannis has missed a lot of time. And they stayed afloat without Giannis. Now they're on a 16-game winning streak and the hottest team in the NBA. Uh, they are now the number one overall seed. They just they're a half game above the Boston Celtics. I do think that with all the injuries and all, with all the in and out of lineups, you miss Giannis for like ten plus games, miss Middleton for like half the season, and when he comes back, he's still coming off the bench, low managing. He's not the same Middleton. I think that uh, Budenholzer should vault his way into the conversation. I mean, I do think he's in the conversation, but I think he should become one of the favorites. And so I think those three are the clear favorites, and I don't think it should go to anybody else. But I just wanted to bring up Budenholzer, who I haven't heard his name much in that conversation for a while, and obviously Mike Brown deserves all the love. So those three guys, fully deserving. For me, I think the the biggest, I think who should win is Mike Brown, especially when you look at the talent difference between the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Kings. I know you said they had a lot of injuries, but especially for the Celtics, I mean, I could I could go in there and win, win you know a couple games with them. They have so much talent, so much depth on that roster, and even with Giannis and Chris Middleton missing so many games, they're they're still great teams, and they're built for injuries are like load managing. When you look at the right. Kings, no one ever gives the Kings a chance. Like they they at the start of the season, the Beam team it was like a joke. It was like <laughs> all right, yeah, fun. Like Kings are like their fan base, like just like the thing. Like the Kings have turned it all around this season. Their fans are like so into it the crowd yep. pop when Kevin Herter hit that three a couple that months insane. ago it's jazz yeah that was yeah. wild and just being the three seed in general it's your three seed in the west right now you're ahead of the suns three games ahead of the suns who have been injury riddled all year right. but just being the three seed in general as a team first year head coach just as a, and not a lot of talent when you looked at them you look at like fox a bonus mm-hmm. but then they have a lot of role players that have just stepped up this year right. and which is i think is a big part of the coaching staff and even young guys who everyone kind of just forgot about just like stepping yeah. up and being big for them. Yeah, and we talk about Joe Missoula being a first-year head coach. Same goes for Mike Brown, but the difference is here. Missoula was a first-year head coach, but he had been on that bench. He knew, he knew the guys. He had been on that right. bench. He had been working with those guys. He didn't have to get acclimated to a whole new locker room. Mike Brown is, you know, he's fresh. He's, you have to you know, meet the players, gain their respect, 
and he has a team that hasn't been in the playoffs for what two plus decades. Yeah, as a three seed. Yep, which is like crazy. Great basketball night in, night out. <laughs> yep, and just energizing a whole city, a whole fan base. But another name I want to throw out there, I've talked about this before, Thunder head coach Mark Dagnall. Oh yeah, and <laughs> some people might laugh, but the Thunder are the youngest team in the NBA. Their average age. Does anyone take a, want to take a guess here what their average age might be? It's 20 th- insane. 23.1. Yep. 23.14. Oh, wow. I was close. Yeah. I, was, I was a very right on it. guess. Yeah. Yes. The Thunder are the youngest team in the NBA. People were talking about, like, oh, who's going to get Wimbanyama? It's the Thunder or the Rockets. Yeah. That's where the two main teams. Now it's looking like the Spurs. But the Thunder were talked about. Just lottery. Book it. Forget it. They're 28 and 34. Mm-hmm. They could get into the plane. We talk about the Lakers. If they start to suck without LeBron. Maybe they fall out the Jazz. Maybe they fall down. That puts the Thunder maybe in this play-in. And then if they make the play-in and then say they win a couple games and they're in the playoffs now, how can you not look at a coach, a young coach, an extremely young team, over-exceeding expectations? How can you not look at him for possibly being coach of the year? Yeah, I love that pick, first of all. Mark Dagonot, I think you mentioned what third-year head coach. Yep. Really young head coach. Not many people know his name. I didn't know how to pronounce his name before this season. I had to look it up 30 seconds ago before I started talking about him. <laughs> it's he, French coach, whatever. I don't know, but he's amazing at his job, first of all. Really built a nice culture of defense first. I believe since the turn of the calendar, I think they're like one of the, one of the best teams in the NBA, straight up. Like Not record-wise, but... On offense, on defense, they built a culture. And you got to remember, all of this is without a true center. And that guy is Chet Holmgren coming come next year. He's coming. Yeah. You're, you're missing a center. You, your center is, what, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's a power forward. You lose Mike Muscala, obviously traded to the Celtics. Who else is there? Oh, Jalen Williams, Jay Will. He's their center. He's also an undersized power forward. You don't have a true rim protector, yet you have a top 10 defense in the NBA. It's unbelievable to watch. You handshake Gilchrist Alexander the keys. Averaging 31 points per game on over 50% shooting. He's turned into himself into a borderline superstar. Josh Giddey's really taking that leap. Lou Dort, J-Dub, the rookie, uh, the other Williams. He's been out of, playing out of his mind. One of the candidates for Rookie of the Year. And you got guys like Isaiah Joe stepping up his game off the bench. A little career, Not even a career resurgence, but nobody really knew who he was before this year. Guy shooting 45% from three. Yeah, really he's an elite catching shooter. Sniper. Shooter, absolute yep. sniper. Should have been in the three-point contest. But this is a team that nobody expects to be good. And they come out and they play competitive every night. They spoil LeBron's uh, scoring record game, if we all remember. They play hard. They play with the culture, and I do think that team is legit. They're going to be contenders within the next two or three years. And um, I really like what they're building there. I do think Mark Dagano, I don't think he's going to win Coach of the Year, but he is a very worthy candidate, and I really like what the Thunder are building. I, I agree that I don't think he'll win, but the biggest thing about the Thunder is when you have such a young roster and you go into the season, that's all that's being talked about is your team tanking for Victor. Like you got like all the young players here is not good enough to win. Then to keep that roster kind of everyone together and build that culture, like we can compete in this wide open West and to stay competitive this deep into the season, no one expected from the Thunder. They're the 13th seed, but they're they're 13 games ahead of the Spurs for the 14th seed, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, which is pretty big. I mean, you're only two and a half games back of the 10 seed, which is the play in. And for a young roster, Shea's probably one of their oldest players, and he's, what, maybe like 24. Yeah, he's and he's, he's been in the league for a while. But it's just it's kind of crazy to look at is just how good, like, and how many picks they have over these next few years. Look at their executives, how good of a job they've done. You still have Chet. The Thunder are going to be a great team in the next few years. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Say in a crazy world he ends up winning Coach of the Year. In one hand, he should accept the award. The other person helping out should be Sam Presti for the job he's done, really, for the last five, six years, and just restocking the picks and building up that roster. It's been just a magnificent job. And you talked about them building this winning culture. You look at another team like the Rockets, who are not building a winning culture, and they're bad. It's easy for fans of these teams to just say, oh my God, we could get Wimbanyama, tank, tank, tank. But when you do that, it kind of instills this culture of losing. Right. Where the Rockets really don't play any offense or defense. Eleven or, game losing streak. Yeah, they don't do anything well, to be honest. And they have young, talented players, kind of like the Thunder. But you see the effects of having this winning culture. That when you do, and they have a bunch of picks, so they're gonna maybe make a move to get a big name player, or they're just gonna keep on stocking up assets and young players. 
when they do, when their rod- roster is ready to compete for that championship, the winning culture is already there. Absolutely. So with all these teams that are tanking, it's not there. It's going to be hard to build. It's a hard thing to build. A winning culture in the NBA is a hard thing to build. 100%. And you, you brought up the Rockets. I mean, you watch a Rockets game, you just see, oh, there is no discipline whatsoever. No offense. The offense is so unstructured. Their defense is just horrible. <laughs> it's it's a Lombardi center ball. It it's is. ISO, ISO, I've ISO. seen better basketball at the Lombardi center. I'll be real <laughs> with you. Like, it's just ISO dribble. It's let him cook basketball, as I like to say. Just let him cook. ISO clear out. Jalen Green, go shoot it. Kevin Porter Jr., go shoot it. Shangun is, like, one of their bright spots, and even he, like, really good passer, really good big man, awful defender. Jabari Smith Jr., their rookie this year, the third overall pick, has been diabolical. I'll just say that. He's a project. He is a project. And the thing is, you don't have a winning culture there. It's like it's instilling losing habits. Steven Silas, is he, he should have been fired last year. He's not a good coach. Um there's no winning. There's no culture there. They're on the side. They're just like joking around, goofing around on the sideline, doing whatever, taking whatever shots, building bad habits. And you say, okay, you get. What if they get Wamadiama? By a miracle, they get Victor Wamadiama. They do have the worst record in the NBA. Yeah. Like you get Wemby, you don't know what. You, what if you build bad habits for Wemby? You don't run an offense for him, run plays for him. You're building bad habits. Basically, you're. There's no system there for Wemby to be his best self. For Jalen Green to be his best self, for Shangun, for Porter Jr., it's just there's no structure there, and it's just like really upsetting to see. I I would say if the NBA could do something to step in, they should. Obviously, I don't think they can because the team is not owned by the NBA. But it's like really disappointing to see some teams tank and tank poor, like the wrong way, tank and build a losing culture, and never get their foot off the ground. It's like I wish the best for the Rockets. I'm gonna bring them up as an example because that is like. They are the clear worst team in the NBA. It's really upsetting to see. And you look at other tanks, other tanks you see winning cultures. You see guys still building good habits. The Rockets are like they're building bad habits for their guys. It's upsetting to see. I hope this ends. Hope this trend of tanking and all that stuff ends. Or tanking poorly ends. That's my feel. Yeah, that's I mean, you look at like the Spurs who are also you could say tanking, but you still have Greg Popovich, you still are having that culture of of winning or used to be winning, right? Or just but playing that's solid how, like, basketball. How important the co- coaching and culture cultures in the NBA? Because teams that you look around the league, teams like the Heat or even the Hawks, like you look around the league, it's like they have like things happen on their bench where players are arguing with each other, but then they pull it all. Like how important that coaching is in the NBA? Yeah, it feels like you mentioned the Spurs. It feels like the Spurs have been good since James Naismith was inventing basketball. I mean, that's a culture that has been established for decades upon decades and even if when they're they're really bad this year right even, but even if you're bad for a couple yeah. of years it's that winning mentality and culture is still there so they don't have to worry about that when they get good again because eventually it's going to happen mm-hmm. the spurs are a well-run organization but <clears throat> that's going to do it for us here today in the rose hill studios in the bronx with joe masters tyler who ellen kelty and will talent behind the glass we want to thank you for tuning in to pick and pod a production of wfuv sports